Heavenly Father, there is no one like you, what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. We come today with our hearts full of gratitude and thanksgiving for who you are, for what you've done, and for what you've promised to do. We thank you for being with us in our worship today. And we ask that you would be glorified as you speak into our hearts and as we hear 
and respond as we love, as we commit ourselves anew to you. Thank you for all of your gracious works. We thank you for your blessed presence. Be glorified. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. It's great to see you as uh, we've gathered for worship today. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. Morning, sir. Uh, the pastoral vote is happening this morning. Uh, last week, uh, I talked a little bit further, longer about what that entails, but the elders are recommending to the church membership uh, an extended call to Pastor Wes. So just be sure to make your way into the lower foyer right inside the front doors. Uh, there's tables and ballots on either side of the foyer to uh, cast your vote uh, this morning. It can be done at any time, really, before or after any of the services. So after the service this morning... Uh, You're welcome to come down and cast your vote. Thank you. It's always exciting to uh, welcome back to Houghton people who grew up around here, uh, about like this tall, maybe. And uh, Wes Brown is here with his wife, Dana. They've been in Nairobi, Kenya for a number of years serving with SIM Mission. And it's a joy to welcome them back and just to hear what God is doing in a rather unique kind of mission work. God bless you, Wes. Thank you. Good morning. It is wonderful to be back in Houghton. Um, as uh, Paul mentioned, my, my name is Wesley Brown. My wife Dana is sitting there in the back. And uh, I grew up here in Houghton. So for, for, for me, this is wonderful to come back. I haven't been back since 2011. Um, my wife and I actually met at Houghton College. So Houghton obviously is, has a very special place in our heart. Um, as Paul mentioned, uh, next slide please. We have been serving with SIM as full-time missionaries for the last six years in Kenya, living in Nairobi. Kenya is located in East Africa. Um, It's just north of Tanzania. It's south of Somalia, Ethiopia, South Sudan. And so hearing some of those countries, um, you can maybe gather that it is in a, a pretty volatile part of the world with Somalia and South Sudan right next to it. But it's a relatively stable country. And we live in Nairobi, which is the capital of the country, but also tends to be the capital of the region economically. And so that's where we've been for the last six years. Next slide, please. Uh, My wife, when we first got to Kenya, just before we we left, she finished up her PhD here in the U.S. in cognitive science. And upon getting to Kenya, she got connected with SIM's um, education branch and got connected with a school and was able to be part of the first doctoral program getting started in Kenya, but actually also in East Africa. Um, And that was a really big deal because 
up until that point, people who wanted to get a, a higher level degree in psychology would have had to go to South Africa or Europe or the U.S. to be able to do that. And for most Kenyans, that just isn't an option. So this gave them the ability to be able to get high-level training in psychology within their country. Next slide, please. And this is critical because, um, according to the WHO, by 2030, depression will be the leading global disease. And that's not the leading global mental disease. That is the disease of any kind. Uh, and in Kenya, they only spend roughly 2% of their medical budget uh, on, on psychology. So these, these psychologists who are coming out of the program that, that Dana is a part of are instrumental to being able to provide um, for the needs of Kenya and for, for all of East Africa, actually. Next slide, please. My background is in IT. That's actually what I trained here at Houghton to do. And I've been designing software and leading software development teams um, for a number of years, and that's what I do in Kenya. Uh, the picture here is of my, the software development team that I work with in Kenya. And I'm working on a project, an SIM project, called Banda Health. And Banda Health is focused on supporting Christian hospitals and clinics in the developing world, specifically targeting those in Kenya that we're working right now. Uh, these, these kind of Christian hospitals and clinics, they're really on the forefront of the evangelistic uh, opportunities in many different countries because many people who would not be able or willing to go to a church will go to a Christian medical center. And while they're receiving care for their physical body, they'll be hearing about the love of Christ and they start that journey which leads them to come to um, a relationship with Christ. And it happens every day. And we are proud to be able to support these institutions as Bond to Health by helping them to be able to be more sustainable and to be able to not have to deal with as much of the administrative work um, that they would have to do, but be able to spend more time with the patients and being able to share the love of Christ with those patients. Next slide, please. You can imagine that if you have to deal with this kind of paperwork, that is a big deal. Uh, this, is, this is just an average uh, file room that you would see in, a, in an African uh, medical institution. Next slide. Uh, we have a number of different installations that are in use all over the world. We have more than 20 sites that are using the software that my team and myself have written in more than seven countries. And the reason we don't know the specifics is because we actually take the software that we write and we give it away for free. We put it up online and we want anybody anywhere in the world to be able to use it without having to pay costly licenses or communicate with us to be able to get access to it. We think this kind of software is too important to be hidden behind those kind of licenses. And so we're really happy that we continue to get feedback from people all, all over the world. I get random emails every day from people who are asking questions about our software in Bangladesh or in Niger and different places. So that's always fun. Next slide. So one of the questions we often get is how can people get involved? Um, we have a newsletter list. We'll have, I think we don't have it yet, but we will have a sign-up sheet in the back at some point where you can sign up for a newsletter. Um, right now we are here in the U.S. on a home assignment or a furlough. And so we're hoping to get back to Kenya in the next uh, few months or so. But we do have some monthly support left to raise. So if you would like to partner with us in that way, please um, talk to myself or my wife, Dana, about that. And we really covet your prayers as well. We need them. Uh, we, we survive on, on the prayer support of our support team when we're over in Kenya. Um, next slide, please. And we also wanted to say a special thank you to the Houghton Wesleyan Church community and congregation for the support that you have shown, both in prayer and finances, over the last six years that we've been in Kenya. It means so much to us to know that the church where I grew up and where I started my, my walk with Christ is behind what we are doing and supporting us in prayer. Uh, so thank you so much for that, and thank you for the encouragement that that provides, and thank you for the chance to be able to share this morning. Yeah, I wasn't trying to rush you, but I forgot to mention that he is speaking with Dana. 
Time for question and answer at the Kaleidoscope class, 945 in the community room. So if you're interested, you come here more there. Okay. I wasn't trying to hurry up. You have more things? No, okay, let's go. <laughs> Like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. The moon and stars they wept. The morning sun was dead. The Savior of the world was born. Poured out for us the weight of every curse upon him. One final breath he gave, and on that blackest day, the Son of God was laid.
You may be seated. As we um, enter into this time of prayer together, there are many concerns and burdens and needs that uh, we have. Some are printed in the bulletin, others in our minds and our hearts. We think about the world as well as things close to us. I do want to mention uh, another item for prayer. Uh, Hudson Hess uh, died uh, Friday night after uh, illness. And uh, his service will be this coming Saturday, the 21st at 11 o'clock here in the sanctuary. And I know uh, we appreciate, you know, they appreciate our prayers as well as uh, the family of Jerry Alderman, her service yesterday, and other burdens and concerns that we have on our hearts as we gather for prayer. As we pray together, if you would like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks today for all of your many blessings, for your faithfulness to us, for your grace in our lives, the way that you work when we can see it, and the ways you work when we can't see it. We give you thanks. Father, this morning as We come to this time of prayer. There are many burdens and concerns in our hearts. We think of people who are grieving today. We pray especially for the families of Jerry Alderman and Hudson Hess. And for others that are on our minds. And we ask that your comforting presence would be with them. Encouraging them. Giving them peace and strength. May they be aware of your presence in their time of loss and grief and sorrow. We pray, Father, for the many health needs that uh, we represent. We pray especially for John Christensen, Elijah Beardsley, Leonard Watson, Florence Tuber, for Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, for Tim Nichols and Bob Brown, for Louise Princell and Nancy Cole, for Brian Orbacher and Peter Lingenfelter, for Cheryl O'Brien and Ben King, for Doris Asepian and Isla Shea and Sheldon Emerson, and for Bill Getty, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, for Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Emily Cricklar and others who may be on our minds today. And we ask that your healing grace and power would be at work in each of them. Father, we thank you for uh, for the ministries of this church and for the many ways in which we serve one another. We thank you for the ministries of churches around us. We pray today for the Short Track United Methodist Church and Pastor Gary Wickard. May your grace and power be upon this congregation of believers. May their hearts be open to you that they might love one another and that they might love and serve their community. And Father, we... We pray for the needs of our world. We know that they are great. We thank you for the calling that you've placed upon Wes and Dana. And we ask that as you, as they are in these next few months of, of preparing themselves to go back to Kenya, we pray, Lord, that your grace would be upon them. 
help them in, in the, the needs that they have for prayer supporters and financial supporters and people to work with them. We pray that you will continue to bless their ministry, not only among the, the, the Kenyan people, but spreading it to other nations of the world as well. May your grace be evident in their, in their work and in their lives. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Indonesia today. There are so many pockets and places in that great country where Christians face tremendous opposition and persecution. And we ask, Father, that, that you, will, you will help believers to, to know how to respond when the opposition comes. We pray especially for Christian children in the public schools who, who face a tremendous amount of discrimination and opposition. And we ask that you will give them courage. And even at young ages, may they know the grace and the power of Jesus Christ in their lives. We pray, Father, for all the needs of our world of refugees and places of war. And we think particularly of Syria this week. And we ask that you would bring peace. We ask that you would, you would bring an end to, to the, uh, the violence and, and the, the, the behavior the, of, of leaders of nations. We ask that you would bring your spirit and your, the presence of your spirit and your people to bear in all of these places, including our own nation. Father, thank you so much for hearing our prayers. We thank you for your grace and mercy upon us. Be glorified in our worship today and every day. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is from the book of Revelation, the first eight verses of chapter one. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood,
and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. At this time, kids are dismissed for both Children's Church and Junior Church. Please stand and sing with us.
Please be seated. Is there an image that comes to your mind when you think of heaven? I suspect all of us have some image, that some vision that comes to us when we think about that. You read enough books and you find that there is a wide spectrum of thoughts about, about heaven. Over the past, I don't know, eight or ten years... I think my mindset about heaven has been changed and transformed. And as I, as I think about what Scripture tells us and I think about what, what people have written about it. But one of the things that I think hopefully all of us agree about when we talk about eternity, when we talk about living in the new heaven and the new earth that the end of Revelation describes is that the central point of that existence is that Jesus Christ is king. Everything about that existence is going to revolve around that truth, that Jesus Christ is the king. When you read the the beginning, when you read in Philippians chapter 2, we read that, that passage that we often spend a lot of time on verses 6 to 8 that talks about how Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God was something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took on the nature of a servant, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What we often talk about less is the next three verses. And those verses say, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, to the highest honor, and gave him the name above all names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What Paul is painting for us here is the picture of eternity where all beings will bow before Jesus, who is the king. And the dynamic of heaven for people who are there is that the most most profound thing that we will do in the new heaven and new earth, the most profound thing that we will practice, the most profound thought we will have is giving adoration and worship and allegiance to Jesus. Now, I'm convinced that in the new heaven and new earth, we will, when, we, when God restores this earth and God restores it to, to uh, what is, it's, in a sense, resurrected nature in the coming of Christ, I think we will do work. I think we will have relationships. I think we will continue to learn and to know more about who God is because I don't think we will ever get to the end of that. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all that we will do together, at the center of that, everything about our existence 
will be about giving allegiance to Jesus, who is the king. Again, it goes back to you know, what Lewis says in The Great Divorce, is that heaven is the place where everyone thinks the way God thinks, does what God does, wants what God wants. Everything about the kingdom as God has designed it, everything about all that God says, this is good and right, every person who exists in that new heaven, new earth, and eternity with him will want all of that. That will be our focus. And so you can see why in that eternal existence, everything that we do, everything that's a part of our existence will be centered and focused in giving allegiance to Jesus. As I I said last week, and this is really what what, uh, John is telling us in Revelation chapter 1. He's talking about the greatness of Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. He is the He is the the uh, the King. He is the one. He's the one uh, later in Revelation of whom Handel writes in the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and He shall reign forever and ever. And as Paul writes in Colossians chapter three. The calling on us in this world as his followers is to think heavenly thoughts. Is to focus our attention on the things of heaven because we, he has to tell us that because we so often focus our attention on things of the earth. We so often think in earthly ways instead of heavenly ways. And if the way of heaven is living in our existence, giving allegiance to Jesus in all that we do and all that we are then doesn't it make sense that as we live our lives here, that's what the way we want to live now? That we want to live our lives now in allegiance to Jesus. I'm convinced that that might be the most profound definition of what it means to be a Christian. We have all kinds of formulas about how we define what it means to be a Christian and what it means, what Christianity looks like. And all those things can be helpful to us. But ultimately, to be a Christian is to give our lives in allegiance to Jesus. Now, we all know we give allegiance to something, right? When I was young... I'm sure you had the same experience in grade school. We would stand every morning and pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. If you grew up in a different country, perhaps you did the same thing, wherever that might have been. We were saying, I I, I support, I love, I care about this nation. And to give allegiance to Jesus is to say, this is what my life is about. This, this is where my priorities lie. This is where my thoughts lie. This is, where, this is what I want my life to be about Jesus. What Jesus wants, I want. What Jesus thinks, I want to think. Jesus' priorities become my priorities. Everything about my existence is rooted in giving allegiance to Jesus. And I think that might be the the most 
profound and clear and accurate definition of what it means to be a Christian. To give allegiance to Jesus. And while we're trying to figure out, you know, the rules, as we talked about last week, and as we're trying to figure out all of these formulas, in some ways, it's a lot less complicated than that. Am I living my life in allegiance to Jesus? Now, that may be a simple thing to say. It's a complicated thing to do, right? And that's what all of the rest of the scripture is trying to help us understand is that this is who God is. This is what God looks like. This is what God is calling you to look like. That's the call of the gospel. And again, if the resurrected life is about allegiance to Jesus the King, then our lives now, the desire of our hearts is to give allegiance to Jesus the King. But the question is, what does that look like? As I've been pondering that, what came to my mind are are some things that probably are at the center of our struggle to let Jesus be the king. And our struggle to live in allegiance to Jesus as the king. And I think one of those struggles in giving allegiance to Jesus is, is all of the stuff that we have. All of our possessions, all of our gifts, all of our talents, our time, our energy, our money, our possessions, all of the things that we live our lives thinking to ourselves, that's mine. And I think it's at that point, it's in those things that we have a tendency to say, that's mine that we hear most profoundly this call of allegiance to Jesus. Because that's the point. Those are the things that get in the way of our allegiance to Jesus. When you think about allegiance to something, you're thinking about giving yourself, offering yourself, and, and that feels like we are giving up. It feels like we're losing. It feels like we're giving away. It feels like the things that are precious to us are no longer ours. And one of the struggles we have in giving allegiance to Jesus is wanting to hang on to those things. I know that's true because it's true for me, and I don't think we're all that different. We all wrestle with giving up. And I think maybe the best image I I could think of was that the call of allegiance to Jesus is to live with this sort of open-handed generosity. When so often we live with closed-fisted clutching. We let go. We do that because, because Jesus is the most generous person who has ever set foot on this earth. There is no one that even comes close to the generous life of Jesus. Everything Jesus could have possessed, he lived with open hands. His time, his energy, his resources, whatever money he may have possessed, whatever possessions he may have owned, 
open-handed. And to live in allegiance to Jesus is to say, whatever you want of mine is yours. Now, when we start talking about money and generosity and resources and things, you know, one of the discussions that tends to rise to the surface is how much does God expect us to give away? The Old Testament talks about a tithe, 10%. And God said to the people of Israel, when you bring in your crops, the first 10%, the first fruit, that's mine. Whatever you earn, whatever you, whatever you produce, the first 10%, that's mine. And we come to the New Testament, and I've heard this from people a lot, is that in the New Testament, we live in a spirit of grace. And so that no longer applies to us. But I was reading something recently, and the person made a statement that caught my attention. And, it, and they said something like this, is that when have we ever found that grace was asking less of us rather than more? Because when we think about the grace of God, the grace of God to us is never about less. It's always about more. We're all living examples of that. How often have we appealed to God for more grace, for generous grace to us? That's what we're counting on. His growing, generous grace. And and that's what we're thinking about. And the truth of the matter is, when you come to the New Testament, what we don't find is much to say about tithing. What we find is talk about generosity. And I think what we find in the New Testament is really what's underlying what God says in the Old Testament is that that it's not 10% that God wants, it's 100% that God wants. It's all of it. It's everything we have. That's what it means to live in allegiance to Jesus. And it's not so much, it's not a rule, it's the desire of our hearts. Because we want to live the way Jesus lives. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I'm not uh, commanding you to do this. It's not a rule. But I am testing how genuine your love is. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And what we have to come to understand is that giving allegiance, whatever we give allegiance to is going to cost us something. And what we have to figure out is, is it worth the investment? And giving allegiance to Jesus is rooted in who Jesus is. The one who gave up everything for us. And calls us to trust him enough to do the same. It's hard to give up what we have because we spend most of our lives focused on self-interest. Self-interest is at the heart of our sinful nature. Whether we're talking about possessions or whether we're talking about anything else in our lives, we all struggle with self-interest. And the call of the gospel and giving allegiance to Jesus is not just about open-handed generosity, but it's this mindset that says, I, I, wanna, I want to try to, I want to give, I want to be self-giving in my life. I want to be self, I want to be a person like Jesus who, who wants to sacrifice and serve and love actively. 
And that too is one of those places where we find our allegiance tested because we are so enamored with self-interest. It's what we do. In our minds, it's how we survive in this world, self-interest. And yet the one who calls us to allegiance is the one who goes to a cross. The very epitome of everything that is not self-interest. And the cross is not punishment for Jesus. The cross is is not condemnation for Jesus. The cross is the most visible act of love the world has ever seen. Jesus doesn't come to this earth and go to the cross kicking and screaming. He does it because he loves. And the call for us to give ourselves away is the call to love as Jesus loves. In John 13, there is a there's a story that of Jesus meeting with his disciples there. It's the, it's the last night. It's the night he's arrested. And he is wanting to, to impart to them sort of one more time, this is what the gospel is about. This is what being uh, one of my disciples is about. And, and they sit down around the table. And Jesus gets up and he takes a towel and a basin. And he gets down his hands and knees and he washes their feet. And he gets up and he asks them, Do you know what I just did for you? And the text doesn't tell us this, though we get a hint of it in Peter's response. But it seems to me that that I doubt if they do understand what he's just done for them. I'd be surprised if they understand it. Because washing someone's feet, that's the work of a servant, a slave. Rabbis don't wash people's feet. Rabbis don't do the work of a servant. People who can heal the sick and give sight to the blind and make the lame walk don't do the work of a servant. People who can raise the dead don't do the work of a servant. People who teach like Jesus teaches and can draw the kind of crowd that Jesus draws, they don't do the work of servants. They have servants to do that kind of work. I don't think they get it at all. I think they're appalled at what Jesus has just done. And as bad as that is, when he's done, Jesus says to them, Since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And I think this mindset of of being servants, this mindset of of giving ourselves away, this mindset of surrender is the call of the gospel. And the interesting thing is, we surrender ourselves to Jesus, but we sacrifice ourselves for each other. Because the most profound means of giving allegiance to Jesus is how we treat each other. In 1 John, he says, he says, if you say you love God 
and you don't love your brother or sister, the only conclusion I can come to is that you don't really love God. I think you could almost, I think you could almost paraphrase that to say, if you make a declaration that you give an allegiance to Jesus with your life, and you don't serve each other and give of yourself to each other, then I have to question whether you've really given yourself in allegiance to Jesus Christ. Because this is the heart of what it means to be a Christian. The heart of the gospel. And what seems, now when we talk about allegiance, it seems like that's the opposite of freedom. It seems like giving myself away is the opposite of being free. It seems like living open-handedly is the opposite of freedom. But it's not the opposite of freedom. It is actually the, most, the fullest expression of freedom. Jesus says in, Matthew, in, in John 8, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And who's the truth? It's Jesus. When you begin to understand Jesus, when you begin to to, to engage your life with Jesus and live in allegiance to Jesus when all of your being is about Jesus, you know him and knowing him sets you free. Because it's not freedom to always be worrying about clutching what we have. It's not freedom to always be living about about thinking about how can I be at the center of everything that happens. That's not freedom. That's bondage. Freedom is saying, I trust God enough that I can live open-handedly. Freedom is saying, I trust God enough that I can serve others, and it's okay. And you know that's freedom because that's the life of Jesus. It's fascinating to me that that in the... in. Revelation chapter 5, John is, is writing about how there was seal, a seal that needed to be opened, and no one in heaven and earth could open the seal. And, and the, the angel who's giving him the tour there says, there's one who can open the seal. The Lion of Judah, he can open the seal. And John turns around and is expecting to see a roaring lion. And instead, what does he see? He says, I looked and I saw a lamb who had been slain. That's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's to this one, this king, that we are giving ourselves in allegiance, in life and worship, and our relationships, and everything that we have to Him. A few weeks ago, I heard a, I heard a, uh, a well-respected uh, even leader in the evangelical church talking about, uh, he was in his late 80s at this point in his life, and it was, he said this a number of years ago. And he said, I, he said there are some, some things that happen in your life when you get old, that, uh, that are valuable. And one of those is you can kind of look back and you can, you can see things in a way that you can't see when you're young. And he said, I've lived my life through most of the 20th century. I've certainly been involved in, for most of the, 
the 20th century in the evangelical church. And he said, sometimes there's a phrase that can summarize a whole movement. And he said, if I were to pick a phrase that summarized the evangelical church in the 20th century, it would be these two words, receive Christ. He said, we talk all the time about receive Christ. We preach, receive Christ. We spread that message all over the world, receive Christ. And he said, I believe we need to receive Christ, that every person needs to open their heart to Christ and receive him. He said, but there is in that phrase a subtle heresy if it's not in the right context. Because he said, when I read the Gospels, what I never hear Jesus saying is receive me. But instead, Jesus looks at an Andrew, and a James, and a John, and he says, follow me. And the difference between receive me and follow me is the difference between a life that is thought of as a decision, that's thought of as a conclusion, and a life that is lived as an introduction. So many times when we think about people receiving Christ, we think of that as a conclusion. And the call of the gospel is to take that moment, that decision, that that process, and make it a life of following Jesus in full allegiance. And I think that's the gospel. When we get to the new heaven and new earth, everything about our existence will be wrapped up. Every work that we do, everything that we learn, every relationship we have, everything that we are will be about giving allegiance to Jesus, who is the King. call of the gospel on us is to want to live that life in his grace now. For that to be the turning of our minds and our hearts and our spirits through the grace of Jesus Christ. So what is it? What is it that might be Preventing us, blocking us from doing just that. Holy Father, we thank you for the call of the gospel. We thank you for your grace and your power upon us. We thank you for all the ways in which you give yourself to us in love and mercy. Help us to see you so clearly that the most natural thing in the world is for us to desire in the depths of our being to live in allegiance to you and to find your joy, your peace, your grace, 
your life. Amen. Please stand as we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I once was lost in darkness. Thank you.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.